Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about a heart uh, for the wayward. We are talking about intercessory prayer this month at Sanctuary. And uh, I had another passage. Uh, as I said earlier, I had another passage I, I thought about talking about for intercessory prayer. It turns out that passage is linked to this passage. And uh, God just really, I, I could not think about what I, I could not get a word on what God wanted to do tonight. And finally, uh, he kept saying, David and Absalom, David and Absalom, David and Absalom. And I don't want to talk about David and Absalom because it's not a nice story and it's not a good story. It doesn't have a happy ending. Um, but God, I felt like he wanted us to talk about it tonight as part of our intercessory prayer. And I think there's some a great application for that. Uh, so we're going to talk about maybe tonight if you have a wayward son or daughter. Maybe you have a wayward nephew or niece you've been working with. Or maybe... Uh, you have repeatedly tried to help someone that is troubled and you have not had any success or maybe you had some success and they returned back to their old ways of living or thinking or doing. And uh, when do you give up on someone uh, who is a wayward person? When do you give up on a person that really maybe they've taken you for everything you've got? Uh, maybe they have burned the bridges uh, with you or your family. And when do you give up and when do you give in? How do you balance that relationship? Uh, you know, God has a heart for the wayward. In Luke chapter 15, God tells us about the story of a father and a prodigal son. And in that story, this son asks for his inheritance early and basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'm going to go on and live my life like I know I ought to live it, and I can live it better than you ever could. And so give me my inheritance now. And he goes and he squanders all of his money and high living and gambling and prostitution and drugs and alcohol and the like, if we would put it in modern day. And he spends it and finally finds himself at the end of his rope in a place he never thought he'd ever be. And he humbles himself and says, well, finally, I guess uh, I've burned my bridges. I don't know if I can go back home, but if I go, I'm going to go back and I'll be a servant, at least at my father's house. His servants are fed well. And he comes back to his dad, and his dad is looking a long way off, the Bible says, and seeing compassion on him, he runs uh, and humbles his own self, humbles himself as a man would uh, run. Uh, in the back day, he'd take his robe, pull it up, and run. Uh, ran towards his son, kissed him, embraced him, put his own signet ring on him, wrapped him in a new robe, and honored him with this big party, and says, my son, who was dead, is now alive. God, he is talking about himself. He's talking about you and me, and what he did through Jesus Christ, that God has a heart for the wayward, the lost, the, the ones who are a long way off, and he is looking for those who are a long way off, and when he sees someone in our community or in our families, in us, if we're a long way off, he sees us, if he sees just a glimmer of us returning to him, it says he runs towards us with compassion. Isn't that a good God? He runs, God is running towards people with compassion. Uh, but you know, for some of us, uh, some of us a little harder, like myself, uh, you know, it's easy to give up on people or to want to give up on people when they have stolen your grandma's rings or they've written checks in your name because I have family. I've been through this. We've had issues in our family with drugs and, and all these things. Uh, or they're wanting always to go back to their old habits. They promise you the world and it never falls through. And so it's easy. I'm the kind of person that's like, fine, I wash my hands. I'm done. That's the kind of, anybody like me? You're like, you burned me. 
It's over, baby. You know, like that's just a natural behavior for some of us. And for some of us, y'all are just so kind and Jesus loving that you will just let them do anything they want and, and take your car and lawnmower and everything else and you'll come home to nothing and you'll just bless the Lord. And, and I wish I could be more like you, but we're needing to get a lot like a Jesus tonight. And so how, how do we do this? Because we can spend every dime getting them to where they should be and, and we could find that it's to no avail. Uh, and through the years, you know, that sometimes with a lot of prayer and love, many do come home and return to right living. Uh, many do uh, come through the prayers of saints. But unfortunately, not all stories do end well. Not all stories do end well. And not all return. So how do we have healthy boundaries with troubled lives while also having the heart of God? So it's both. I want to have the heartbeat of God, but I also want to live with a healthy boundary and awareness of God's heart. Let me tell you the story of David and Absalom. Uh, and so I'm going to just paraphrase and get us to 2 Samuel 18. But Absalom, his name is Peaceful. And this guy was anything but peaceful. He's a handsome young man, strapping lad, beautiful, very fine-looking dude. Nobody was really like him in the, in the area. And in fact, he had the most beautiful set of hair. And uh, so much so that he only uh, cut it once a year and he had to have special ways to carry it and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of a prideful thing for him. And uh, we don't see much about Absalom until early on in his uh, life as a young adult, that his sister Tamar uh, was abused, sexually abused, raped by uh, her half-brother. And Tamar is Absalom's dear sister, and he finds out what happens to, uh, her, so he's her, her dear brother, and he finds out what happens to his sister, and he's mad. King David, the father of all of them, uh, he's angered, but maybe he didn't handle it as best as he could, uh, and nothing really came about of it. And so for two years, Absalom mulls this over. And Absalom finally finds a day, asks his daddy, Hey, Dad, it's a, it's a sheep shearing uh, festival. Can, uh, can I invite all the boys, all the princes over, all of our brothers over and, and have this big festival? And so the king says, Sure, but why do you want to have your, your brother, Amnon, come over, the, the, bad, the bad guy? Why do you want to have him come over? Well, you know, it's just, just going to be a party of bygones, be back bygones. So Amnon, he gets him drunk, his brother Amnon, who had done this to his sister, and he tells his servants, when I tell you at the right moment in the middle of the party, kill him, stab him to death. And it's this big bloody ordeal, and everybody f uh, freaks out and leaves the party running, and, and David doesn't know what happened. He thought all of his sons are dead, and finally he finds out it was just his oldest son, Amnon. And David weeps because his boy is dead. And Absalom flees. David weeps for many days, but then it also says in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 13 that he, was, he had mourned for his son Amnon, but in 2 Samuel 13 verse 39, but his heart also longed to go out to Absalom. It's a broken family. It's a messed up world. It shouldn't have happened. The first thing shouldn't have happened. The second thing shouldn't have happened. David begins to blame himself. His son for years is exiled. For years, David is struggling. For three years, he is bearing this guilt of what if I could have done this or I should have done that. I should have pulled him in. I, I should have helped him. I should have dealt with his brother differently. I should have protected his little sister. All these things. And for three years, his son is exiled. He doesn't see or hear from him. 
And so David struggles with this guilt and blame, and he's convicted one day, though, that he hasn't forgiven his son. In 2 Samuel 14, verse 13, he's convicted that he could not forgive his son, and somebody comes and, and through kind of a little scheme, gives him a word, a reflection. You know, sometimes God shows us things about ourselves when we're least expecting it. And basically, this person comes to David and says, you know, God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back to us when we have separated ourselves from him. And David realizes this is talking about him. It's talking about his son. And, and I would forgive somebody else, and I would protect their son in that situation as king, but I haven't done that for my own family. And so he sends word, and he brings his son back, Absalom, back into the kingdom. But he says, you know what? You can't see me, though, because even though I'm going to bring you back and I'll pay your rent and utilities, you can come live in my house because it's been three years, and I do love you, I do miss you, but you can't come into my presence because it's not okay what you did. It's not okay what you did. And Absalom, by the way, hadn't repented yet. So he lets Absalom stay at his house and forbids him from coming in, and for two years more, he lives under his roof, but they do not see each other. And finally, it comes a moment. It's been five years now since this event. And three times, Absalom will ask to see his father. He'll ask, can I go see my dad? No. And Joab, the general, won't even talk to him about it. He goes and asks and sees his dad. And finally, he comes up with a way to burn Joab's field, the general, and say, i got to get this guy to get up. I'm just, I have to see my dad. And Joab says, what did you bring my field for? I've got to talk to you. I really need to see my dad. Whether I live or die, I want to see him. Whether I'm exiled again, I, it would be better to be dead or exiled than live this way. I'm sorry for what I did. And he comes in. His dad says, well, fine, I will see him. Five years later, he's restored his son. David summons him. Amnon, uh, Absalom falls at his feet. David kisses his son. And they think that would be a great ending to the story, right? That would be just, ooh, that would be good. Preach it, Jesus. You know, but unfortunately, that old habits of pride just kept on coming back. Absalom begins to exalt himself again. He gets chariots and horses around him, and he sits at the gate, and he hires some bodyguards to make himself look good. He keeps that hair going, and, and he begins to build himself up and builds himself up and puts his dad down in front of the boys and in the, in, at the gate and other men. And say, well, you know, if I was judging, I'd, be a, I'd probably, probably do a little bit better job than my dad. If somebody just give me a shot, give me a chance, I could show who I am. And, and so finally, enough people hear this for a few years and he gets a good reputation, and, and instead of making people bow down to him, he, oh, he like, man, you're so awesome, you're so wonderful. He, he praises people and lavishes praises on them, so in turn, they'll praise him. And just this way of, of falsehood and, and two-facedness that he lived in, because sin does that to people, right? Two-faced. You don't even know who you are anymore. You don't even know what you're doing anymore. You're lying. You don't even have a reason for lying. How many people have been with that? before. You don't even know why you're lying. You're just lying because it's just part of your personality now. And that's Absalom, just like that place. Finally, it's at the breaking point. Absalom sends word out to some people, says there's going to be a little mutiny. There's going to be a little a tiff, you know. And so he goes to Hebron, which is his dad's old capital, his, uh, his dad's old homestead, right? He goes to dad's old homestead, invites 200 uh, people there, some, ad, uh, some important guys. They don't really know what's going on. But mutiny and, and the schism has been uh, rumoring around through these letters and these, you know, these emails of gossip and Facebook chains. You know, this is all going on. 
And so people all of a sudden show up, and before they know it, they're in a mutiny. That they, he has been getting to worship. People are saying he ought to be king, and David hears it. That Man, there's a whole thing going on over in the homestead. And so David and his family flee the town. He leaves for his own son. Now, David could have taken him out right then, but it was his boy. How can my boy do this to me? How can my boy stab me in the back? How could he do that? And so he takes his elite bodyguards, 600 faithful men, their families, and a few others, and he leaves out the back of Jerusalem weeping over what is transpiring. And he tells people they're falling with the Ark of the Covenant, and they're falling with the Levites. He says, no, no, no. You go back to the tabernacle. If it's the will of the Lord, if he sees fit for me to be king, I'll come back. But if not, then the Lord be with me. And he goes in the wilderness, and miracle after miracle happens. People begin to uh, uh, help David out and provide his needs and minister to his family. But at the same time, man, people are slandering him in the street. People are accusing him of things he did way back when, and they're just throwing stuff and tomatoes at him and things like that. And so... Then Absalom comes and he establishes himself king in Jerusalem, sleeps with David's uh, concubines, builds a, a monument to himself, and time goes by. David begins to pray for his son. He says, God, I, I pray that you would uh, just make wisdom nothing in his eyes. And just give him counselors who give him bad advice. Lord, just bring it down. Just, God, you got to do this. Lord, frustrate his plans in his life. David could have stepped in in a moment. He could have brought his army in. He had the most elite fighting force in the world. Not to mention, even though David's older, that dude could whoop up on somebody. He's David. He took out Goliath at 12 years old. And so he goes, and they find, uh, <clears throat> he goes to the wilderness. Absalom says, all right, now is it it. His people follow him, and they go. They're about to take that out. Thousands of people come and march, and David's troops hear about it. They get themselves ready, and they say, David, you cannot go out. If you die, man, it's going to be over. We'll go. We'll die for you. That's some real man right there. We'll go. We'll die for you. You stay back. And David is convinced because he, he's like, but please, just don't kill my son. And Joab's like, what do you mean don't? Don't kill your, okay, all right, whatever, David. Let's go out, boys. And they go out, and they fight. 20,000 people in one of the bloodiest wars of Israel die. Absalom flees to the forest, running on his mule, riding on his mule. And because of that beautiful Goldilocks hair, it gets caught up in a tree. The mule keeps going. The hair is caught. He's hanging there from a tree. And some of David's men see this. They're like, well, I'm not going to touch the dude because that's David's son. Joab hears about it, says, let's end this. Goes and he kills Absalom, stabs him, shoots him, buries him in a pit, puts some stones over it. Because how dare you do that to David? And they send word back to David. And look what David said. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Do you see the conflict there? And Joab, the general, says, how dare you weep for the dude that 20,000 people died because of? And he has to tell David to get himself out of this and go out there and at least congratulate the troops before there's a mutiny because they just lost their lives because of this idiot right here. But think about the love of a father who is struggling over the behavior 
of their child. And on one side, he's saying, I know this is the way it's got to be. But on the same side, I'm saying, man, I wish I could take their place. I wish I could live their life through them and make this better. I wish I could have done things differently, and maybe this would have worked out. And he, so he weeps and he cries, and he never really gets over Absalom's death. And so this, though, is the heart of God for the world. This is the heart of God for the world. People say, well, Pastor Heath, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why, do, why does all this evil in the world? You know, God's out in the world, and he's saying, all my people, my people, I have died for you. I have taken your place for you, and you've only to receive it. Think about it. Jesus actually did what David wanted to do. And yet still people turn from him. How much that must hurt the heart of God for every lost person in the world. For you and for me, when we fall or we faltered or when we were lost, Joab couldn't believe, and there's probably people in this room that have told you, I can't believe you're trying with that person again. I can't believe you'd give them more money. I can't believe you would do that and allow them back into your home. I know. I've been there. I've talked to many in my time in ministry. Because this is the heart of a parent who loves their children or loves a loved one. Paul understood this. And the passage I wanted to tell you tonight was Romans 9 and 1 and 3. Jesus had wept over a lost Israel, and he said, my children, my children. You know, he wept over Jerusalem. In the same way, Paul, he wept over Israel. He says to his people, my kinsmen, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, he basically says the same thing David would say. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow an unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren Israel, my kinsmen, my relatives according to my flesh. He's basically saying, if I could go to hell for the lost people, I would. That's how much I love them. I weep over lost people. I grieve over lost people. I can't do it, but if I could, I would. Is that our heart, man, for the lost? To say, Lord, man, am I burdened for people around me? It could be family or friends, and Lord, help me to be that way with strangers. God, if I could do anything to help them, in this, Lord, give me that word, give me that life, give me that ability. But you know, the Bible also says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they will not understand or will not see that they don't get things that make sense. You could just say, if I could just take your head and open it up and put in what I'm thinking right now, you'll understand. But it's like we're on two different wavelengths here. I'm trying to tell you something that's common sense living. Even if you're not a believer, it's just common sense. Don't do this. Act this way. But they don't get it. Because this is a spiritual condition. It's a spiritual issue. 
And we've got to go into it with a spiritual heart that there is on one side ways we need to behave and handle the loss, but at the same time through all of that hurt and all that heartache to say, God, I want the Father's heart for people. I don't want to be so jaded by people that I lose this Father's heart to say, oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son. Because God is saying, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me give you six real quick things on how to deal with this situation, how to intercede for the wayward according to the story we just read. Are you ready? Number one. Number one is let them go. Number one is let them go. Think about the father of the prodigal son. When he asked for money and wanted to leave, he let him leave. He didn't try to fix his life, didn't try to fix it, didn't try to control him, didn't try to make him do the way he thought he should live his life. He says, well, I've raised you the way I think I ought to have raised you. I did the best that I could. Son, I love you. I, I, I want you to stay. This is what I want you to do, but I can't control you. I've got to let you go. David, the same way. Absalom fled for those many years out into a foreign nation, a foreign people, a foreign pagan land, and he had to let Absalom go. We have got to let people who are adults, I'm not talking about your teenagers, you tell your teenagers when to be in church and when not to be in church, but your adult children, your adult family members, the adults in the world today, you have to know how to have boundaries and let them go. You and I cannot stop someone from their negative behavior. I cannot change their heart nor change their mind. I must be willing to let them live with the consequences of their behavior. It's hard. But it's until they end up in the consequences of their decisions, until they come to their senses. They have to choose for themselves who they will serve. Will I serve self or will I serve God? So number one, you've got to let them go. Number two is this, let them be willing to fall. Let them fall. The father didn't enable the prodigal son's bad behavior when he was away. When he's out there squandering his inheritance, which was rightfully his, he gave it to him early, he didn't continue to pay his rent in wrong living, he did not continue to give him money that he could spend on drugs, he gave him what he needed out the door, and he said, son, I love you, if you want to come back, I'm always willing, the door is open. But he did not enable his bad behavior when he was there. Absalom, even, David allowed him to come home when he thought there was some sense of repentance there, something that he felt he ought to do. And he did allow him to come home, and he came into David's rent, and he was in David's utilities, and he probably used David's Wi-Fi, right? But guess what? There were still boundaries. There were still issues. You can't see me. You can't come to my presence. This, if you're going to live in my home, this is the way it's going to be. Do you want to not live my way? There's the door. You can go back to the wilderness. But if you're going to be in my home... This is how this is established. These are the rules. So let them fall. It's okay to have separation. It is okay to say no. Somebody say amen. amen. He let Absalom go away for three years. He let him fall. It was okay to have a separation. But number three is this, be gracious. Be gracious. The father did give an inheritance on the way out the door. He did give him an advance loan to make sure he could always get to where he needed to go, that he could always have time, and perhaps he would use that money to return. He was gracious. David did allow Absalom to stay in his home before he ever repented. He did give him uh, those things, but Absalom still needed to make amends. But it was David that took the first step. 
It was the father who met the prodigal son halfway. It was the father who was looking for an open door of communication. It was David who was willing to go the extra mile to go get Absalom out of the pile of rubble that he was in. Sometimes we might be the ones taking that 3 a.m. phone call to get somebody out of a dark situation. We are gracious. We are forgiving. We are ready for them to change. We are eager for them to change. But I cannot enable them, but I can be gracious to them. Keep an open door. That's number three. Be gracious. Number four is this. Let them return. The father was always waiting and willing. The father met him halfway. David was willing for Absalom to be restored when they repented. In both cases, it was only until both people had fully repented. Being sorry that your life is in a bad place is not repentance. Being sad that you have no money or you ran out of money or that you got to the end of your rope and nobody will let you sleep on their couch no more, that's not repentance. That's just needing another handout again. Repentance is when the son said, at least if I go back, I'll be a slave. That's repentance. He humbled himself, left his position, left his pride at the door, realized he could serve his father and was willing to do so. Did not have any expectations. That's how you know if they repented. Do they have any expectations of you? Because repentance will say, I am end of myself done. Absalom, the same way, he bowed before his father, and David kissed him. He humbled himself. He tried three times, and he said, I'd rather die than go on living this way. I'm done. And he still fell at his father's feet. Forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. That's a good one. Forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. Number five is restore them. If the repentance is genuine, take a chance. God did on you. The father gave his son everything he lost and threw him a party in the prodigal son. David kissed Absalom and gave him a seat at the gate. It was as if in both cases the child had never left. They restored them fully when they came back home. And lastly is six. Guard your heart. Not every story ends well. And while we hope this is the last time, it's not always the last time. Prepare yourself for that. Prepare yourself to go through that season of people talking about you, people cheating you, lying to you, not doing you well. But don't let it take you to a place where you can't cry out like God and say, oh, my son, my daughter, my wayward one. Oh, if I could just have, I mean, if you could just understand my heart for you. I don't want to lose the Father's heart for people because I am people. And while I was a still a sinner, Jesus Christ, the Bible said, died for me. And while I'm going to have healthy boundaries and go through this process of restoration like David and like the prodigal son, I want to continue to have that heart. And I want, I'm asking for me and, and, and for us tonight as we go into prayer, one for our church, to have the heartbeat of God, the Father, who is yearning for the lost, who is longing for the lost, 
And how much do I pray for the lost? How much do I think about the lost? And for every empty seat in our church buildings, to say, God, somebody could be sitting here tonight who otherwise, right now, they could be dying and going to hell. And that's somebody's son or daughter. And ultimately, it's God's son and daughter. And he's saying, my son, my son, how I have died to save you. If you would just come to me. I think God's looking for a church that would agree with him in that. And tonight, maybe you have a personal story, a personal account in your own life, a person you have been that way with. I know many of us have uh, someone in our lives that way. And we're going to take a moment here. I'm going to ask Miss Stacy to come back to the piano. And we're going to pray. God, help open the eyes. It's not a, you could talk to your blue in the face sometimes with some people. It's a spiritual thing. The God of this world has blinded their hearts and eyes, their spiritual eyes. And we're going to say, God, let's do some spiritual warfare. We're praising God. I know Miss Lou has been praying for a son for years and he came into church twice this month, and praise God for that. We're on his own, by the way. And uh, we even just the two weeks before had had prayer right here for that son, uh, her and I. And just believing God's still in the process, amen? Intercession works. Prayer works. He says it moves mountains. And uh, what love, when we pray with love for people, I believe God hears our heart, amen? Now I invite you to stand with me tonight. And let's just take a moment right now. I want us to all together pray for God's heart. And then I'm gonna, we're going to get together and pray for our lost loved ones uh, in groups here tonight. But let's pray right now. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's jadedness. Maybe there's areas where we're not as compassionate as we ought to be. But maybe there's areas that, man, we do have, we need to have better boundaries We've not guarded our heart. We've let people run over us. And you need to understand how to lead that person into repentance and into the process of restoration. There is a process. There are boundaries. There is a, 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 a way to do that rightly in wisdom and the Lord. But mostly, God, help me to have your heart for people I don't know. Can you love somebody you never met? With the Holy Spirit, you can. With the Holy Spirit, you can. Because He loves them already. And if he's in you, God's love is in you. So I'm going to ask you just pray with me tonight. Let's pray for the lost of us all perish, that God would bring them into our church. Would you join me? Father, tonight, oh God, give us the heartbeat of the Father. Holy Spirit, let me yearn with you. Let me know your heart. God, we intercede for every lost person. We intercede for the lost tonight. God, we make this solemn moment to say, God, we pray for workers in the harvest. You said, look into the fields, for they are ripe. They are white and ready. There are many people looking to come home. They don't know where to go. They've got no earthly family who have any compassion left. They've burned every bridge. They don't know what to do or where to turn. God, let them see a church who is beckoning them in who is saying, come, all you are weary and heavy laden, God will give you rest. Lord, let us be an open door. Let us be a lighthouse for every person in troubled seas who is longing for port. God, there are those that aren't longing, but Lord, we're talking tonight about those who are ready 
for a breakthrough in their life, those who are at the end of their rope, God, those who know that something is not right in their hearts, give us an open door. Provide, put a witness in their path. Put a song on the radio. Put a billboard in their eyes. And Lord, put something in their dreams. Lord, don't let them go to sleep at night satisfied unless they find the Bible and open their mouth and turn to You and confess their sins and receive Jesus Christ. Lord, let there be a moving of heaven. We rebuke the enemy, O God, who has lied to them, who has blinded their eyes, who has hardened their hearts, O God. Lord, there will be a softening and a melting, O God. Move, Holy Spirit, in our, on our community. Move, Lord God, that the lost would come in in droves, Lord, by the dozens, O God. Let this baptism tank never dry up, O God, that it would be full every Sunday, Lord, in revival and awakening, O God. Because there's a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit, a breakthrough through the kingdom of darkness and dominion of this age, O God, that heaven would shine a light on this community, Lord. That people who are satisfied with material living would find it never satisfies. That they would, people who are feeling satisfied with things in their mouth of alcohol and drugs, Lord, that it would not satisfy any longer, Lord. That people who are falling into relationship after relationship, would find it meaningless and empty, O God, that they would come into a hunger of their souls, Lord, and say, yes, I need Jesus. I want Jesus. I need Jesus, Lord. We cry out tonight, O God. Holy Spirit, break through our hearts. Give us a love for the lost like You have. You're crying out, O my people, my people. Oh, how You have died for us all, Lord. Draw us nearer to the cross, Lord Jesus. Nearer to the cross, O God. Oh, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord.